chapter 6, beginning in verse 19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Let's pray together. Father, thank you now for your word. And as we pause these few moments and give attention to it, we ask that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Father, we bless you for all that has already gone on this morning. We thank you that when we confess our sin, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from our unrighteousness. Father, we thank you that in your wisdom, you have gifted and called men to particular office. And we're grateful for the three men that we uh, were allowed to ordain and install this morning for the office of deacon. And Father, we are grateful for our covenant children. And we thank you for the opportunity of uh, hopefully stewarding them well while they are with us. And then, Lord, having the privilege of praying for them as they leave and pursue your calling and your will for their lives. We pray all these things now. In the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Jesus has been teaching us some very hard truths. In the previous section of the Sermon on the Mount, he stated unashamedly that not all practices of piety are actually true. Not all of our religious activity is actually good. Not everything we may want to claim we've done for God is actually done for the glory of the triune God. In fact, some of our pious actions may indeed be done to bring glory to that rather infamous trinity of me, myself, and I. In his grace and mercy, Jesus expounds that which is faithful and exposes that which is false. Jesus reminds us of what is true and exposes for us again those things that are false and need to be rejected. <clears throat> In our text for this morning, Jesus continues his bold, blunt, and binary teaching. He takes dead aim at four areas that can destroy an authentic relationship with God, our possessions, our anxiety, our need for security, and our hypocrisy. Now, sadly, we're only going to examine the first of those threats and then step away for 10 weeks. Next Sunday, we're going to begin our annual 10-week series, our Summer in Psalms. And so we're going to be looking at Psalm 81. But this morning, we're going to give attention to the first of these four things that can destroy an authentic relationship with God. And we're going to see that Jesus goes from preaching to meddling 
almost immediately. Now on the screen in front of you and in your bulletin, you'll find an outline for our time together. And under the outline, you'll see something called the big idea. The big idea in one sentence, hopefully, is what the sermon is about. And so the big idea for this morning is this. The things we treasure govern how we view the world. The things we treasure govern how we view the world. Three points we want to make this morning. The first one is this. Treasure the right treasure. Treasure the right treasure. Jesus begins in verse 19 with an imperative. It's a command. But he couches that imperative within a play on words. In Greek, literally, the command reads this way. Treasure not for yourselves, treasure. And the tense of the verb is such that he's telling us, don't have this habit. It's not just a one-time thing to say that I haven't laid up for myself treasure on earth. But rather, we need to have ourselves a habit of treasuring not for ourselves treasure. Well, why? Why would Jesus say that we're not to treasure for ourselves treasure? Now, we need to note this morning that Jesus doesn't say, don't seek to gather treasure of any kind. Rather, he says, you're to gather the right kind of treasure. Why does Jesus say, don't treasure for yourselves earthly treasure? Because it's the wrong kind of treasure. Look at what he says. We go on in verse 19. Don't lay up for yourselves earthly treasures on earth. Why? Because moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. In other words, don't spend your life, don't spend your energy, don't spend your attention and your talents gathering for yourself things that both decay and defarcation can take away from you. A new word I learned this week, defarcation. It means somebody actually comes and steals it from you. And it rhymes. And so since it alliterates, we're going to learn a new word, defarcation. So if it can be taken away by decay or defarcation, Jesus says, don't treasure that for yourself. But he doesn't say, don't seek to gather treasure. Friends, we were actually created to be treasure gatherers. The problem is we're given to seeking the wrong kind of treasure. Human beings are actually hardwired to seek reward. The question is, what kind of reward are you seeking? See, Jesus doesn't remove that desire. He redirects it. Now, I hope you gather right away what a word of love and grace this is from the Lord Jesus. He acknowledges the fact that we are indeed treasure gatherers. That we were, as human beings, created to seek reward. And instead of saying, as some great religious teachers throughout history would try to say, no, just remove the desire for these things, Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. 
Take those desires and redirect them. You were created to seek reward, but you got to be seeking the right kind of reward. We have a, a family friend who, when she was in college in the early 2000s, uh, drove a car affectionately known as the Banana. It was a 1980 Cadillac Coupe de Ville. It was a custom paint job. It was yellow and it was yellow fleck. It was the gaudiest looking thing you've ever seen in your entire life. It also had, it was a soft top, so it had like the leather roof and it was actually in good shape. And remember now, this is a 1980. Everything on it was power. Uh, the clock was digital. The dashboard was digital. Uh, some of you don't realize this, but there used to be these things on your windows that you had to turn to get them to go down. Well, this car didn't have any of that. This car was electric. Everything, the cruise was great. It had a custom suspension. And our friend, when he bought it for his daughter to take to college, found in the glove box the original bill of sale. That car in 1980, the custom banana Coupe de Ville, sold for $40,000. Now, in 1980, you could buy a stock Cadillac Coupe de Ville for $20,000. And the typical automobile, I found this out this morning, I Googled it. You know what you could buy a car for in 1980, typically? $7,000. You know where the banana is now? Last I knew, it was, it was in a junkyard in Gas City, Indiana. I love the quote from G.K. Chesterton as he challenges us to treasure the right treasure. He says, to be clever enough to get all that money, one must be stupid enough to want it. To be clever enough to get all that money, one must be stupid enough to want it. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Secondly, then, we need to keep our eye on the ball. We need to keep our eye on the ball. There's an interesting question about how we would translate a word that is in verse 22. Jesus tells us the eye is the lamp of the body. It's the means by which light comes in. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. The word that we have to question how it's translated is that word healthy. It's the Greek word hoplos. It can also be translated whole, sound, clear, or single. So Jesus is here calling us to make sure that we don't take our eye off the ball, that our eye is single, that it is whole, that it is sound, that it is clear. That if our eye is focused on gathering up for ourselves treasures on earth, then what's really going on is that our whole body, as he goes on to tell us in verse 23, is full of darkness. You see, the things that your eye is drawn to are going to be the things that you value and desire the most. 
And so Jesus is telling us lovingly, be careful what it is that you are focused upon. Be careful that you don't take your eye off the ball. He told us in verse 20 that instead of laying up for ourselves treasures on earth, we're supposed to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. And then he tells us in verse 21 that where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. Well, how do we know, Jesus, where my heart really is? Because the Bible tells us over and over again that the heart is deceitful and wicked and that the heart will. And I'm really capable of deceiving myself. So how do I know where my heart is? How do I know that I'm not self-deceived? Well, Jesus says, and he puts it this way. Uh, what's your eye on? What are you focusing on? What are you looking at? Because your eye is going to be drawn to the thing that you value. Your eye is going to be drawn to the thing that you desire. A couple summers ago, we were in the, uh, in the northeast part of the United States, and we were uh, coming back and spending time with my family. And um, I, I, we, in our home, we take pizza pretty seriously. Um, don't bring anything in a box. And if you put ranch on it, no, just no. Um, so we had the opportunity uh, to actually stop at one of one of the great cathedrals of pizza in the United States. Uh, if you weren't aware of this, it's called Frank Pepe's. Uh, the original one is in New Haven, Connecticut. But thankfully, they had opened uh, a pretty new location as we were driving across. I don't remember what part it was. I know it was before Nathaniel vomited on I-80, but I don't remember where exactly it was. That's kind of how that trip went. Um, but we were able to stop and have lunch at Frank Pepe's. And I, I, I've literally watched YouTube videos for hours on Frank Pepe's pizza. That's how seriously we take this. And so we, we go into the place and they greet us. And as we go in, I see it. Uh, the original Frank Pepe's has this old wood-fired pizza. Or it's actually not a pizza oven. It was an old bread oven. And uh, Grandpa Pepe started, just decided... It was a limited market for bread. He was going to make pizza instead. And so we go into the place and, and I don't, I don't even know if my family's still with me because all I see is the glory of the Frank Pepe's pizza oven. Like it is there and I'm, I'm basking in its glory and I'm not really paying attention and I'm walking like right to the oven. And one of the guys who's behind the counter is like, uh, dude, you can't be back here. I'd actually walked into the kitchen and was standing by the oven looking at it because I was, this was the object of my desire. And I was literally drawn to the pizza oven because I want to stand there and watch. And like they're making a white clam pie and they're putting bacon on it. And I'm, I'm, I'm just like, I'm just losing my mind. And my family is seated and they're horribly embarrassed and they want nothing to do with me. Um, but at the end of the day, my eye was drawn, my whole being was drawn to that thing that I treasured and that thing that I valued. It wasn't that I was with my family on vacation. The thing I treasured and the thing I valued was that I was at Frank Pepe's and there's the pizza oven. 
I love the words of D.A. Carson. He says, if your eye is set on earthly treasure, it will change you as a person. Keep your eye on the ball. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Thirdly and finally, beware the idol mammon. Beware the idol mammon. Again, we have a translation question. In the ESV, there's a little note. In mine, it shows up as either there's a D and then there's a one or an L. And if you look down at the bottom of verse 24, look down at the bottom of the page. It says Greek mammon, a Semitic word for money or possessions. There was also, scholars think, an idol named mammon. Mammon was the one that you would bow down to if you needed prosperity, if you needed some kind of possession. So let me ask you a question this morning. Let me ask you the question that Jesus implies and that we have to face. The question is this. What do you possess that you value above Jesus and the gospel? Now, when I ask the question, I want to remind you of something. The thing that you value above Jesus in the gospel may not be evil in and of itself. Jesus told a parable about inviting folks to a wedding feast and one came to him and said, hey, I've just taken a wife. I can't come. Another came and said, hey, I just got two new oak. I just got a new yoke of oxen. I'm trying them out. I can't come. The third one came and said, hey, listen, I got parents. They're they're elderly. Once I bury them, then I will come. Well, how many of us would sit here and go taking a wife is a bad thing? How many of us would think that having the tools we actually need for our vocation is a bad thing? How many would say that caring well and honoring your parents as they get older, how many of you would say that's a bad thing? And yet Jesus uses all of them as an example of something that we can take and value above God and miss out on the greatness and the riches and the blessing of the kingdom. So what good thing do you possess that you are tempted to elevate above your relationship with God? Is it your family? Is it your work, your calling, your vocation? Is it your education? See, friends, we possess more than just the bottom line of our bank account. We possess more than just the things that the IRS likes to ask us about every year as we are extorted by them. There are all kinds of good things that we possess, but our hearts are evil and wicked to the point that we take those really good gifts and we value them above the one who is the giver. Now, Jesus reminds us in this last verse, in verse 24, in fact, he tells us twice that it's not possible to serve two masters. 
The, the decision of faith is an either or decision. I love the way one scholar puts it. He writes, it tolerates no double dipping, no sad side glances at the bitch god of success, no smuggled incense at other altars. No, twice Jesus says it isn't possible. John Chrysostom, writing and preaching on this particular text, says, when God says it isn't possible, don't you dare say possible. When God says it's not possible, don't you dare say possible. Twice in his writings, the Apostle Paul reminds us that covetousness is idolatry. In both Ephesians chapter 5, Verse 5 in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. See, Jesus is reminding us that there is a spiritual element to the things that we love. And that if we love our possessions, they become our master. If we are absolutely committed to treasuring for ourselves treasures on earth, that is our master. And we cannot have two masters. It is impossible. And so this week, this month, this year, as you find yourself doing the mental math and saying, you know, I think it might be possible to do this thing that Jesus says is not possible. Please beware the idol mammon. The thing that you treasure most or the things that you treasure really do govern how you view the world. One of the things that makes it hard to live out faithfully what Jesus is talking about, quite honestly, is we can see our earthly possessions. We can't really see our heavenly possessions. It would be wonderful, wouldn't it, if we had some sort of tangible reminder of of the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. It'd be great if we would have something that we could see and touch and smell and taste to let us know of the reality of the great thing that is to come. And again, as in our text for this morning, when we come to the table, we see that Jesus is kind and gracious to us. At the table, he invites us to taste and to see his goodness. At the table, we are invited to hold in our hands the bread that symbolizes and is the broken body of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're invited to taste the wine and to remember and to proclaim together the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we like to remind ourselves here at Grace Church, this little table with a, with a cheap plaid tablecloth from Kenya and bread and cheap wine from Trader Joe's, this table points us to the greatest feast that will happen in the history of the cosmos. You can read about it in Revelation chapter 19. It's called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. See, this table, this feast, points us to that great feast. And it reminds us, Jesus is reminding us in very humble ways, but also in very tactile ways. 
that there is an inheritance that we have as Christians in heaven. He's reminding us that we were created to seek treasure. But the treasure that we are to seek is in heaven and not on earth. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your kindness and your graciousness to us. Thank you for these loving and gracious words of Jesus. We know sometimes we think it's 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 just awful when he starts uh, banging on our possessions and our money and what we do with our stuff. And yet, Father, we bless you uh, that Jesus would have us uh, pursuing the right stuff, that he would have us pursuing and seeking the right reward, a reward that will last for eternity, not a reward that can be taken away by decay or by defarcation. Father, we pray that we would take to heart Jesus' command, we cannot serve two masters. May we not be guilty of saying it's possible, where Jesus explicitly tells us not once but twice, it's not possible. We pray these things now in his name. Amen.